In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast, episode three eighteen, I think. <laughs> we are talking about our uh, first issues. Woohoo! Um, this is uh, an episode, or possibly, potentially, depending on how this goes and what we want to do in the future, possibly series of episodes we may do down the line, uh, where we're just going to talk about the comics and stuff that we read. That introduced us to comics to begin with, our first experiences with the comic genre. Uh, and tonight we've picked out some a couple of selections, and we're going to go over those. But before we get into it, Mark, you want to talk a bit about some Green Lantern news, right? Yeah, this will be our actual Green Lantern part of the Green Lantern podcast for the week. <laughs> it happens on occasion, folks. Uh, actually, but all kidding aside, well, actually, it's kind of to- super topical because last week... Last week we kind of talked about the idea that we almost – and I'm glad we kind of didn't speculate then because it turned out everything – but it been completely pointless. Well, maybe not completely, but mostly. But we talked about how we were – we were kind of – we were interested in the Dark Stars returning, but we were not overly enthused with the idea that the Dark Stars were going to run from what – from all the way from like issue – what, 41 is where we finished off last time, right? 41. Right. So we were not overly thrilled that the Dark Stars seemed to be running through 42 to 47 and leading into whatever three-issue final arc Robert Venditti was going to do. And then right on cue, I think the day – the day I think that, that first article came out the day we, we released that episode, I think, on Friday, that it turns out that, no, <laughs> issues 42 all the way through issue 50 will be the Dark Stars. <laughs> Even though he, he obviously Robert Venditti has hinted that there will be certain aspects of other things that have happened during his Green Lantern and his Hal in the Core run that will come into play, probably maybe more so in the final three issues. But I think neither one of us were obviously neither one of us were super enthused about like a six a six or five or six issue Dark Star thing following the, the five issue Zod thing, and now. And now we're going to have, what, like about eight issues of this? Yeah. Take. And so how do you feel about that, Chad? <laughs> I think I know, but. <laughs> I mean, it depends on how he does it, I guess. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not really in, too enthused about the idea uh, of spending that much time on a given storyline. I mean, if he's going to be bringing in elements from Earth and telling a really cohesive story and, and so on and so forth, and that's that's fantastic. Uh, if he's going to be wrapping in a bunch of elements and leftover plot threads or whatever from his story arcs and, and things like that, that's one thing. But 
the problem therein is, as we've been saying all along, every Venditti story seems to start off pretty well, but just sort of peters out towards the end, uh, with very rare exceptions in terms of, you know, whether they're more entertaining or not. But for him to make an entire story arc, his last story arc, and it'd be eight issues when he has trouble maintaining our enthusiasm for four, I, <laughs> I mean, that sort of speaks to itself. This is going to be have to have to be one hell of a story for us to come to the end of it and go, well, that really could have. Uh, if, if he want, if his goal is for us to come to the end of it and go, oh wow, that was the perfect amount of issues to tell that story, then uh, he's going to really have to step his game up because he hasn't done that yet with his shorter story arcs. And in a way, in a way, it seems it seems like he's doubling down. It seems like he's it's like all or nothing. He's he, he's betting everything that he has that this arc is going to more or less. How you feel about this arc is probably going to have a great long-term effect on how you feel about the Robert Venditti era, even if it's just the Hal and the Core era leading out, leaving off the Green Lan- the actual Green Lantern stuff uh, before this. So you're right, considering considering his track record, that it it's it's a big it's a big gamble to give us a really long arc. And yes, technically speaking, he's breaking it into threes. Like the first thing is the prelude. To the Dark Stars Rising or whatever it is, so basically it's three different arcs supposedly, but it's all one all-encompassing arc that really evolves around the Dark Stars. That yeah, I to it, to me, yeah, it, it could it could be where maybe we get it's a little more of lights out moving beyond the part we hate about the, the about the reservoir. That it could be maybe it starts off you know it's a decent arc overall, more like more like lights out, but. Uh, whenever when I heard that when I first found that interview and I posted it, it was like the first thing that popped into my mind was uprising, and how that thing yeah. just went on forever, which was multiplied because unfortunately it had to drag the core book down with it. But that's the thing that made me nervous is like we're having like an eight issue arc, one basic storyline, and even in segments for like eight issues. When yeah, I I I much like you, I am and I am looking forward to the dark stars. I do want to, and uh, we won't. I won't go. We won't. People can read the articles and get the you know the spoiler about like the one the, the one dark star. We pretty much know who's going to, already. Uh, I won't spoil it here in case people didn't read the article or don't want to know. But I'm have mixed feelings about that. It makes me want to read. A, it, it it grabs me a little bit, and so I'm curious to see whether you know where the dark stars. How, who else? If there's any but other characters that we know end up being in the Dark Stars and just their different, their different take on things, and obviously they seem to be set up anyway to be more puppets for the controllers than ever before. I'm enthused about that. I'm somewhat interested in the idea of you know the, the varying degrees of law, you know the the law enforcement thing which we've seen and and give and we'll give Renditi credit for this. He certainly has been laying the groundwork for the major issues. You know the two the two ways of looking at things uh, that are going to be dealt with head on in this arc, which we which we basically just saw John and John and Hal talk about it. The idea that uh, you know Hal seemingly is coming around a little bit at the at the end of the last arc about may, you know coming coming around a little bit more to the idea that maybe if once in a while you know we kind of like eliminated a threat permanently, it wouldn't be wouldn't be such a bad thing instead of having to deal with it over and over and over again. That that seems to be the 
the difference, the main difference philosophically between what the Dark Stars are about to do and what the Green Lanterns are about to do is the Dark Stars pretty much won't seem to have any issue with, you know, this guy's a threat. There's no reason to think he's not going to be a threat. Again, he's done bad things. Boom, you're dead. As opposed to the Green Lanterns, which don't practice that, and you're going to have a contrast between th- those two styles of not just police, but policing is also like worldview in a way, philosophical. Uh, conflicts. So I am somewhat interested about that, but we obviously know that can be very heavy-handed, depending how it's handled. So I, I am disappointed. I mean, it doesn't mean we're not going to see Sinestro at all in this. And before the book ends, I kind of would be surprised if we didn't. Uh, you can pretty. It, it would be stunning if we saw Saint Walker, <laughs> which maybe is a good thing. Just like it certainly, as you and I have talked about a couple of times in different places, it certainly seems to decrease the odds that we're ever going to get. Uh, convergence parallax returning for the the, the traditional issue 50 because mm-hmm. it kind of it kind of would seem extremely shoehorned in unless there's a way to, to make that you know i don't see how they really could do it i mean i i can't, can't say i can't say that I, I, there are there are ways to do it i just don't know if they're going to take that approach but it just seems a lot of things they were building up towards and you were more interested in getting a payoff to we may never we may not see during the venditti the end of the venditti venditti run and maybe that's not necessarily for the worst, in you know, in, in the. It's not the worst thing in the world, considering how some of these we've been pretty disappointed with, with the way he's handled certain characters and certain uh, plots. So, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but regardless of all that, we're gonna move uh, into the uh, into the the episode proper. This is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. Mark, you seemed a little, and you can you can tell me if I'm wrong here. You seemed a little less enthused to do it than I was. I was a little less enthused, but I was more or less enthused, to be fair, for two for two reasons. It had nothing to do with the concept. I liked the concept, and I know you were enthused to do it, so I so I certainly was I certainly was not going to not do it, you know, because I know you really wanted to do it no matter what. I was my a lesser degree of enthusiasm was probably for two reasons. Number one. I wasn't really sure which issues I was going to pick here because I don't necessarily know 100% like the first thing I actually remembered reading. So for the sake of accuracy, even though obviously as we've talked about, this is kind of like – this is more like our first taste, our first foray into reading comics. It's not necessarily has to be one, two, three. Oh, these are the absolute first issues we've ever we ever remember opening as a kid or anything. So it was it was a little bit of that, not necessarily go, knowing where to go. And then it was the idea of necessarily being able to get the issues one way or the other, whether it was you getting your issues or me getting my issues or vice versa, one of us getting all the issues. I just didn't know how easy it would be to be able to get the digitals in some in, in some instances or, find, or dig out the old hard copies of even if I, we had to scan them in or something. So those were the main reasons. It, it was probably it – so it was more, uh, more technical and, and – Along those lines, that I, I had maybe a little bit of a little bit of reservation towards how it would go, not necessarily the idea, the idea of doing it, because the idea was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, just uh, just as an example of mine, uh, the the two issues that of of uh, what I'm covering, the second issue I didn't read until decades. I mean, a dec- well, yeah, uh, a <laughs> a decade maybe later, uh, because. The first issue I was one of my first comics, but I never found or read the second issue until years into my collecting. 
Uh, and, you know, for a long time, that handful of five or six comics was all I ever had. Uh, so that second issue is more of a recent experience for me than anything. But at the same time, it tells one story. So needed to do that. So what we're covering tonight are four issues. We are talking uh, Werewolf by Night, number 22 and 23. And we're talking Marvel Chillers, number one and number two. Um, Mark, uh, do you want to talk about why we're talking about your issues and then we'll cover yours? And then after we're done with that, we'll talk about why we're covering my issues and go into that kind of, is that how we should probably handle this? Yeah, that's, 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 I kind of was hoping we'd start with you doing, with you doing the werewolf by night anyway. So yeah, let's, let's, let's do a little prologue, a little background. Uh, I think we've mentioned on this show before that one Pretty much as a kid, I was I was a Mar- I was a Marvel guy. I have some DC issues, but they were more. I think they were things more my father bought for me, not necessarily things that I was gung ho for. Which doesn't mean I didn't read them, but it just meant that I didn't have the ties to those characters as I did the Marvel ones. So while I have a bunch of 70s, you know, Superman action comics, Batman detective stuff like that, the majority of stuff that I actually read and paid attention to. And got and got me into comics for Marvel stuff. So in the 70s, probably you know, I would still say Amazing Spider-Man was probably still the the book that I remembered the most, and the that and the Incredible Hulk were probably the two books I read the most religiously uh, during my formative years. But another one which was really which I really got into was Werewolf by Night and. First of all, the the issues that we're going to be doing here really is that's the first arc of Werewolf by Night that I actually rem- ever remember. I have I know I absolutely 100% know I have these physical issues downstairs. Though I'll be honest, issue 22 I do not have the cover on anymore. That fell off a long time ago. But I do. But 22 and 23, which is a two issue arc, I, those were the I the first two issues that you know of a, a real arc of Werewolf by Night that I bought. I can actually remember where – I mean, I don't remember the name of the place, but I remember where I was when I got that issue because we were on vacation when I was a little kid, uh, like on a beach house or something in Rhode Island. So I remember there was like a pharmacy or something, and I remember seeing this, seeing that cover uh, of the of Werewolf by Night being like being strangled under the water, being held under the water, that I remember that cover. I remember getting that issue during that time. So I – and I, Werewolf by Night was just one of my favorite characters. As we'll talk about, I think I'll mention this more after after Chad talks about the issues. There are certain uh, flaws with the with the way I think they portray the character, which goes into some another like theory or or a syndrome that, as I phrase it. Uh, but Werewolf by Night was a really interesting character. I liked the way they tried to make it as as realistic as a you know a werewolf comic could be, as far as the real if you were if you were a werewolf, exactly kind of the things you would kind of be dealing with, as far as not just trying to a trying to find a cure, but b until you could find something, how are you going to handle it? You know, like the, the, the two to three times a month or whatever that you're going to change. And so I I just like this. I actually like the personal relationships in this book. I like uh, you actually got a good. This arc is actually good to explore like the relationship between him and his, and his best friend. And later on in the series with Topaz, and I think Topaz was actually introduced. I think she was introduced before this, but she becomes more of a character uh, through the 20s into the 30s. And this was kind of like, I guess, 
if this wasn't the peak of Werewolf by Night as a selling from a selling perspective, it was on the back end of the peak because by the time it hit the end of the 30s, it became a bi month uh, a bi monthly book before it eventually ended up getting canceled. So, but I really have fond memories of this, and and I was tempted if we were going to do Werewolf by Night, I was tempted to do what I think 32 and 33, which would have been the introduction of Moon Knight uh, as a character into the Marvel universe. For those who didn't know, uh, such an obscure place for a, re- I mean, he's kind of he's like a B tier character for the most part, Moon Knight, but he is a well known Marvel character now, and he's obviously had his own book multiple times. As had and, I, and I know some I know some people who are pretty huge Moon Knight fans too, actually. So yeah, that's and, interesting. Yeah, and, and much like Moonlight Werewolf, Werewolf by Night, this has several different incarnations or, or returns. So not as successful as this, which obviously it was the '70s. So this was the monster era in uh, in Marvel comics with Tomb of Dracula and Frankenstein and even Ghost Rider and Morbius and all these things. They were really big uh, during the '70s, as we you know with the comic code and being less less important and, and less stringent and everything else but yeah I, yeah and that's that's why werewolf by night was created in the first place yep. so i read is the the comics code after its first uh edit in 1971 was 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 edited and one of the things they got rid of were things like you can't have werewolves and you know yeah, the vampires horror. and yep. yeah the, the 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 horror genre and then 1972 werewolf by night hits yep so, all Werewolf by Werewolf by Night, I have very fond memories of as from a childhood perspective, and I and I just so, especially you know when getting the complete collection, the having the hardcover of and not the hard the it's not a hardcover excuse me I mean having the actual physical trade of the volume one and the digital now of volume two and I have to get volume three to complete it, but it just it just brings back a lot of fond memories. And to me, a lot of the iconic imagery I have of Werewolf by Night, a lot of those images actually are from issues 22 and 23. And and even I almost picked 24 and 25, too, because that was another cool arc. Uh, but I thought this was the best arc for someone like who's not really as well, not really versed in the lore of Werewolf by Night that much, that just as a standalone arc, I thought this one would probably be interesting to you. So Yeah. All right, so we're going to start off with Werewolf by Night number 22, uh, the, uh, the Face of the Fiend. Uh, it is written by Doug Minch with art by Don Perlin. Uh, Vince Coletta was the inker. Bill Mantella was the colorist. Dave Hunt, the letterer, and edited by Roy Thomas. Good crew. Uh, we, Good crew. That's right. Uh, we are... Uh, we are op- well. I might as well read this 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 uh, top part here. Uh, the tags Russell with a jack in front of it, the kind of name that fits a normal 19-year-old dude living out in L.A. Not the kind of name you'd expect to find slapped on a guy who sprouted fangs, pour-to-pour fur, and wolfish howls every time the moon uh, ballooned full. Unless that guy happened to have a father who was cursed by an arcane book called Darkhold and who inherited his father's curse on his 18th birthday. Stanley presents Werewolf by Night. Uh, the opening image, of course, is just uh, back in the 70s, you have to understand, uh, kind of just the whole era in general for several decades in comics. The uh, opening page is more like a secondary cover. <laughs> right. In this, in this case, Werewolf by Night is leaping at the villain that we will come to know as Atlas. Um and then uh, here the story starts. Uh, Jack 
is going over to uh, to his friend's house. Uh, he calls him Big Shot, uh, but his name is Buck. Um, he's going over to his friend's house because his friend knows about his curse, and he wants him essentially to lock him up in the basement. And he says, here, uh, in case I happen to get out, here's a gun, and here's some silver bullets. Um, the Buck refuses, uh, but he takes the gun and says, no promises. Um, he locks Jack down up in the basement, and uh, later when the full moon hits, he can't get through the newly barred windows, but the werewolf uh, busts through the front door. Jack draws down on him, cannot pull the trigger, so the werewolf slashes him across the chest, and as uh, he is, Jack is, or Buck is on the floor crawling towards uh, a closet, the werewolf hears a noise. It distracts him for a moment. Buck ducks into a closet, uh, and when the werewolf turns around, he's confused, so he leaps out of the house. And this is when Lissa shows up, uh, who is Jack's brother. Uh, we don't see much else of her. Sister. in Yeah, or sorry, sister, yeah. Um, Jack is her brother is what I meant. And we don't see much else of her in this arc, at least, but evidently she's a big part of the series. Yeah. Um, then uh, over across town in L.A., we see this uh, big shot uh, movie, uh, movie uh, not a movie star, but like a producer. head of a movie, head of a movie studio producer kind of a guy. Um, he's you know telling somebody to not offer an actor a penny more, so on and so forth. You can get the idea. He's a real pain in the ass. Uh, that's when Atlas shows up and says. I'm going to vanquish you in the name of vengeance. He's Atlas, the champion who will vanquish you and every member of your barbarian horde. Um, and he said, this is a joke or a prank, right? Do you think what you did to me was a joke? And he removes his mask to uncover this horrifying visage of a man's sort of melted face. Think, uh, think Jonah Hex, but if the whole face was a scar. <laughs> and... Um, he says, you recognize me. Don't you recognize Steve Rand, the most handsome actor in Hollywood? This freaks the guy out. Suddenly, uh, uh, Steve switches back into his Atlas persona and clubs the guy to death over the head and walks out of the house. Meanwhile, over in the local police precinct, they get the call to start and start running over. Um out in his wanderings in L.A., the werewolf stumbles across the house of this movie producer. It reminds him of a forest and the freedom it promised. So he leaps over the gate and in there, and that's when he comes across Atlas. They fight. Atlas is extremely strong, holds the werewolf under the water, um, slashes at Atlas's face, his face gets free for a moment, and then Atlas clubs the werewolf over and over and over again with the, uh, the the club which is a jawbone of an ass um, and it's a it's an authentic bone uh, so he's getting beat pretty good uh, the werewolf passes out and Atlas goes away this just happens to be right as the sun is rising so as the werewolf is passed out on the grass in front of this fountain uh, the werewolf transforms back into Jack this is right when the police arrive they see the stiff, the dead producer, and then one of the cops comes and grabs a detective, 
and pulls him out to see Jack over by the well. They start questioning him and say, "For you know, uh, my name's Northrop. I'm a cop, and I'm running in to discuss a few, running you in to, dis- to discuss a few things. For instance, first degree murder." So that's where that first issue ends. Uh, the second issue sort of picks up where we left off. Um, Jack is down at the police station getting grilled uh, until he asks for his phone call. His bail is set at $5,000. He calls Buck, tells him what happened. Buck comes and picks him up, bails him out. Uh, then uh, Jack fills Buck in on what happened. Uh, Jack notices the slash across Buck's uh, chest and you know feels bad and blames himself for that. Then Buck says, hey, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, but by the way, I think I figured out who, based on your story, who this guy is. And he tells the story of Steve Rand, who was an actor, um, who sort of built his entire career off his looks and charisma, and in one of the, in one of the uh, last, in the last picture he was in, he was so arrogant and full of himself that he decided to do his own stunt work uh, on a very dangerous uh, particular scene for this movie he was working on where he was playing a character uh, called Atlas. And he swings over this pit of fire, but he doesn't get the momentum just right and falls face first into this fire, which causes his injuries. And of course, uh, when he comes to after the injuries, he, you know, full of himself still, uh, rips the bandages off and it's a real shock to his system. Supposedly he spent five years in a mental asylum uh, and then was out, released. Um, and then Buck says, hey, these murders that have been happening in Hollywood, if we think about it, this is the only thing that makes sense because uh, all of these people who have been killed are connected to this film and to Steve. Um, meanwhile, over at another house, we see the co-star uh, of that film that uh, he was a part of, uh, who played the role of Bathsheba. And he shows up, knocks, clubs her across the face, and knocks her face first into the water. Obviously, she drowns. Um, and then, surprise, surprise, Atlas shows up at Buck's house. Why? Because Buck was the writer of the script for that movie. So he's going after uh, Buck directly while Jack is there, but of course Atlas has no idea that uh, Jack is the werewolf. And in the midst of this confrontation, Jack transforms into the werewolf. Uh, him and Atlas duke it out. Um, and not just out of uh, out of the house, but into the streets of L.A. Um, they end up in front of Man's Chinese Theater, where all the handprints and everything are, if you've ever been to Hollywood. And uh, all the people milling around on the Hollywood Walk of Fame see the werewolf and Atlas and just assume it's some sort of uh, publicity stunt, so on and so forth. They're, uh, they, they duke it out, they battle, destroy a few things. And right as, um, uh, the, uh, as Atlas gets the better of the werewolf is when Jack arrives, Buck. uh, and I'm sorry, Buck arrives, Buck arrives. And, um, he, he's got the gun that, that, uh, Jack gave him and pulls it on Atlas and shoots him in the back. Atlas dies and falls face-first into wet cement in front of Man's Chinese Theater, 
leaving his face and handprints in in there. That's when the police arrive, who Buck had called as he was heading out to go find hunt down uh, Atlas and Jack. Um, and Buck's feeling bad about all of this. The police say there's nothing else you could do. Um, he was arrogant. He was conceited. But somehow, uh, I couldn't help pitying him. This is Buck. He told me once that he disdained awards, that winning an Oscar would mean nothing to him as an actor. He said it was popular acclaim that counted, and he wished to be remembered by the public, and that all he ever wanted out of life was his name in a square of cement in front of Grauman's. And technically, that's what happened to him in the end. <laughs> and that is the end of the issue. Although it does say, uh, let's see, uh, next issue, is it Lisa or Lisa? I think it's Lisa. Lisa's 18th birthday approaches. Can Jack prevent her from becoming a werewolf like himself, or will he kill the one man who could save her? That was an intriguing premise. His sister's turning 18, so the curse might affect her too. <clears throat> and uh, i got to say, when I was paging through, because we have the, the digital of this, um, when I was paging through trying to find these specific issues in the, in the grouping, I, uh, I, I initially paged through Volume 1 because I didn't look up Volume 1 to see how far it went. Right. Um, so the, the Volume 1 ends, uh, and I don't know if it's the first appearance, but it's a major appearance of Dracula in, in that. And I was like, oh, crap, why are we reading this one? Because <laughs> it, it looked pretty cool. Just seeing Dracula and the werewolf go toe-to-toe. Uh, and, of course, I read then uh, on Wikipedia a bit of the origin of the werewolf uh, in, in the curse of Jack's family. So, And evidently Dracula was involved in that. Um, so that was cool. Uh, that made me curious about that. So by reading this, it, it made me curious about what happens next. And by flipping through and paging through, it made me curious about other issues in the series before this. So that was cool. Well, that's good. I'm glad, I'm glad that was a... Uh... It, it it piqued your interest at least. I'm glad. Yeah, I would say. See this. This is like again. It's, and, and part of me, it's it's spoiled. It, I might be spoiled because again, I got in on the ground floor around this uh, with uh, with this arc in the issue before the issue. I don't know if you're if the issue before it had to do with this ring that let you control. Uh, when he was a werewolf, he could control the transformation, and he would have the mind of Jack Russell. Which I'm kind of surprised on some levels they didn't kind of like explore that a little longer because that would be kind of like a way to make him make it almost more like a superhero book in a way so I'm kind of surprised they never they never did that a little more often but to me when I think of all the stuff in, that I read in Werewolf by Night and the majority of the really really good there was a, I think the two best arcs in the 20s were 22, 23 and 24, 25 and then there was a really good arc that it was almost like in this haunting of Hell House kind of storyline that that happened in in the 30s. In fact, I think it happened right from 30, like 30. I think it was like 34 to 36 or 34 to 37. It was right after the Moon Knight arc. That those are what I think of when I think of Werewolf by Night. But this arc, yeah, this this these two issues, I the the art, I mean. It kind of reminds me of Golden Age art, actually. Yeah. In some places, it's sort of stiff like that. In some places, and in other places, it's very distinctly sort of seventies. But there are there are moments where, like for instance, just those the, those first few panels in the first issue where Jack is running into the house with Buck, those look 
pretty stiff and remind me of Golden Age sort of art styles. Yeah. But I think but, uh, but I think I think uh, Perlin is the artist who I think of when I think of Werewolf by Night. Uh, so when I went back and you read when you look at Volume One, which of course he was not the original artist on this book, or when Werewolf by Night was created, it gives you a different vibe. It gives you a different vibe, especially for someone who was used to in his mind's eye. You know, this is how I see Werewolf by Night. This I you know I see the you know I see the the Werewolf by, you know the font the font the logo the, you know the the you know, werewolf standing in front of the 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 uh, the the arrow that it represented in, in Marvel comics, but they'll always have the characters you know the character in a pose on the left hand side in a circle or whatever. I, that I have fond memories of the pose that the werewolf by night was in. All everything about that uh, everything about this kind of like represents you know on this level when I first got into comics. So and I do think. So I I like the arc. I think it was an interesting arc. I liked how they touched upon, excuse me, the fact that he was the werewolf, and they 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 actually touch upon it a little bit more. I think in the first part, the first part of the series, how even though he you know he is you know he he is an animal, he still he still he has some he has some memories. He's able to tie, put put a few things together. But just the mere fact that he's able to re- – that he's not mindless no matter what because as soon as he starts fighting Atlas, he remembers what happened the first time he fought Atlas. So hmm. he so, – so, so there's so an there's a, there's a amount of fear in him and cautiousness because of what happened the night before when he, when he got his ass handed to him, which is another thing which I kind of hinted at at the beginning, which is another thing about Werewolf by Night that he is – he is a charter member in probably – and I should have always called this the Luke Skywalker syndrome because Luke – would be people would people would respond to that more, but my Karate Kid syndrome, as I call it, and Werewolf by Night fits into that mold too, because you have this character that is supposed to be very, very good at what he does, very powerful, and ve- and very tough, but yet you know someone else is always helping picking him up off the floor, and Werewolf by Night has that happen to him a lot when he's fighting, even when he's fighting quote unquote human foes, he you know not supernatural. Of opponents, he gets his ass handed to him a lot in this series, a lot. And whenever he fights any other monster, he pretty much gets his ass handed to him. Even Morbius, for God's sake, pretty much kicks his ass. So, Do you want to tell us a bit about his origins? Oh, about the Darkhold stuff. Yeah, the Jack's Jack's family history, essentially, how this all came to be. Uh, I can only sum it up generally because, again, because I didn't, I, I know it from reading, you know, going back and reading the issues and everything, uh, in the first volume. But again, I got on board, I got on board with this late, so I, I don't, I'm not as fluent in, is it in it as I, you know, I know obviously his family, you know, they found the book and, and he basically ended up, they were, they read the pages related to lycanthropy, I think, and he ended up being, and his father got cursed, and then, but I don't, but I don't remember, but I don't remember as specifically. Essentially, that's it. I mean, there was a, according to what I saw on Wikipedia, um, there was a, way, way, way back in the day, Dracula killed one of uh, uh, Jack Jack's like great ancestor's wife, and that pissed him off. And there was this whole thing involving the Darkhold or something like that. But then several decades later, like in the 1920s or 1930s. The father uh, could be grandfather, probably the father of of Jack finds the Darkhold and then reads the 
uh, stuff of, on lycanthropy at the begin uh, during a full moon, and that triggers the curse in him, and then from then on it's passed on. That's sort of the vibe I got from what I was reading on Wikipedia. I could have those details wrong, but again, I don't have the experience. All I did was read a Wikipedia article. I was curious enough to, I want to go read the first issue to sort of see the origin stuff. But at the same time, like I said, I only have the digital guys, and the app that I have to read digital content is not very good about turning pages very fluidly. <laughs> so I didn't feel like paging and paging and paging through that just to get back to the first issue. Uh, but that's sort of what I got off of it, that it was some sort of dormant curse um, that was activated by the dark hole being read under the light of the full moon. I think that pretty yeah, I think that sums it up more. I mean, I would get some of the details wrong too, I think, or potentially, but I think that is, but I think that is pretty much the you know the major beats of of his origin and, and it is a, and it is a family curse which is why when he turns 18 he got it and which is why he's worried about his sister getting it and yeah the, there's a when you go back if you re, if you read the first couple of issues of the book uh or at least when he gets introduced that they they do kind of give you more of a background in it, with his relationship and his you know the family and everything else and so it's it's it is int- it is it is interesting but. I'm sort of curious about a couple of things on where it goes from here. First of all, if the werewolf shows up only on the light of the full moon a couple of you know a couple of nights every month, do eventually the police in LA start putting this together? Because I mean I, I mean okay sure you know it, it it's one thing for normal people to be like hey uh, suddenly I'm just noticing all of these murders and attacks and stuff start happening under the light of a full moon uh, and reports of a beast and blah, 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 blah. So do after enough issues have gone by of werewolf by night, but do the police kind of quote unquote on his tail start uh, putting things together? I think we're kind of already, I think the, where we are now is kind of like the peak of that because I think, I think they kind of avoid it because Jack ends up being moved into different places. Okay. So, uh, so he's not always static. I. Uh, so he's not always in L.A. No, 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 no. There's a really. It's actually a really. If I was going to pick a single issue for us to do, uh, if I was going to, have, if I had done that, I think it was issue 31. 31 has to do with uh, the, they're like at the they're at this ski resort or something. It's like him and Buck and everything else. And it's it's actually it's a really sad it's really it's a really sad issue actually, but. And it's pretty dramatic, but it's it's a one-off issue. But yeah, it takes so that's like at a ski resort. I think when they go to that, uh, I forget where the I forget where the moon where the Moon Knight arc uh, takes place. And then, like I said, then they go to that to like the, uh, like a, a a hell house kind of haunted house place uh, for like about a three or four issue arc, which is which is pr- so I think that I think that I think he kind of gets moved around. But I think that this is a this is the peak. Because issue tw- issues 24 and 25 kind of deal with that same cop who basically kind of inherited the case because the previous cop, uh, went, I don't want to spoil it, but the pre- the previous cop had a little was a little had a lot of personal uh, investment in in looking into and in looking into Jack and everything else. So uh, the arc the, the arc that kind of the the arc the three or four issues before the Atlas thing was kind of interesting too. But I would say 
24 and 25 is really cool because it's kind of like the, it's kind of like a doing a, a they like to introduce characters in 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 this series some obviously some are blatant like when they you know bring in the Frankenstein monster and things like that like in the giant size or Morbius in those but sometimes they kind of create like versions of their own like like there was a version of you know a version of the hunchback of Notre Dame that they used in the first volume and 24 and 25 is kind of like their version of jo- Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that's kind of like their version of that not called that but it basically is that so that so they they do they do a pretty good job and he's got and and, and the werewolf by night ends up having some villains that you know uh he has his own little rogues gallery of villains that that keep showing up the hangman keeps showing up i think dr glitter knight gets in, he he keeps showing up moon knight i think moon moon knight showed up i think one i think he showed up one more time in this book but i'm trying to remember but that might have been as a like an image like a fake not a uh a vision of moon knight not i don't i'm for some reason that's what i remember i don't think it was actually him uh in the book but but yeah so it it was it was a it was it's a fun series for what it was you could see as you know we're winding through the 70s that a lot of a lot of the monster comics started started winding down uh even like tuma tuma dracula started to you know started to wind down too i have the last issue of that somewhere uh did you follow uh, Werewolf by Night after the series ended, the character? Because I was reading on Wikipedia, it seems like later on he gets involved in other things, teams up with, like, Doctor Strange, has a role in the Midnight Suns arc, so it kind of made me curious, does at some point either, A, the werewolf gains his own sort of sentience, or does Jack get back control of his own sort of mental faculties while he's in the werewolf state enough to make decisions like teaming up with Doctor Strange or something like that. I followed him when they did the relaunch of the book, which I think only lasted like five or six issues, when they first relaunched relaunched it in the 90s, when they were trying to bring back all, I think, their monster comics in the 90s, and it didn't and it didn't really work. I do, know, I do know exactly what you're talking about from a lot that they did try to, they brought in, even after that book, the, the, the second volume, you know, bit, bit the big one, they did bring him back in other things, and actually, some of those issues I believe are in Volume Three of this of the complete collection. I think some of those modern day issues are thrown in because because there aren't that many there aren't that many issues of uh, Werewolf by Night left after this one because I think this ends up to thirty. I think thirty is the last issue in this in the second volume. So I think the book I forget what I told you was when when the book got canceled, but it's somewhere like. It's, it's somewhere in the early 40s, I think it. I think it gets it gets canceled, or the late 40s at the absolute latest. <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't last it doesn't last all that long. But another one, another book that would have been really cool to do, and I don't want to ramble on too. That Legion of Monsters book, the one shot that they did, which was I think might have been Marvel Presents, when they had Man Thing, and Ghost Rider, and Morbius, and Werewolf by Night, and I'm trying to think if there was. I'm trying to think if there was somebody else in there, uh, but I had that somewhere downstairs too. That that was a that was a really that was a really cool team up. Uh, it was an interesting idea. Obviously, you know, a comic like Marvel Presents was just you know you th- basically they were all like one shots. Basically, it was an ongoing series that just gave you tons of basically pilots. And if if any if, if any of them actually caught, you know got any traction, then potentially they would end up turning into their own books, kind of like. 
kind of like how, you know, Werewolf by Night ended up, you know, getting his own book too. I mean, it's not like they just started a Werewolf by Night book. That's not how he got his start. So, but it was a really intri- that was a really cool one shot, and I have, like I said, I just, I really have fond memories of the, of the character, and it just, it, it encompasses my childhood. So I think that's, and if we do some issues of Spider-Man, if, which probably we would if we if we do another like famous firsts, which I'm thinking about calling this episode, that maybe that obviously there's a bunch of issues of of the early, not not early in the true run of Amazing Spider-Man, but in the I started I started reading Amazing Spider-Man shortly after they after both Gwen Stacy and Norman Osborn got killed. So like the first issue that I actually bought. Or, or was bought for me, I think, was the appearance of the Vulture. Uh, and then that led directly into the first appearance of the Jackal and the infamous uh, and, the, and the Punisher, which now is more known for being the Punisher. But, of, but at the time, it was more cool because it introduced the Jackal. So the first issue of you know, the Punisher holding his gun, I think, having Spider-Man in his sights, that, that issue was one of the first Spider-Man issues I ever bought. So it was a really good era, the Ross and... Andrew era of art and everything else. So, but yeah. is that where Craven started showing up too? Right around that same era? No, Craven. Craven's an older. Craven was older. He's an older okay. villain. But I don't. I also don't. I'm also honestly now that you're saying that, I'm trying to. I don't think. Yeah, I honestly. I don't think because I. I had a. With a rare exception of a few issues, I couldn't get on the newsstand before I ever got a subscription. Towards the end of the '70s, I got ended up getting a subscription, but I have almost all the Amazing Spider-Man, probably from like 128 through uh, at least into the, the 170s, and then I got then my subscription started in the eight in like the 180s. So I so I had Spider Amazing all the issues of Amazing Spider-Man for a long time till I just till my face when I got out of comics. I don't think. I don't think actually Craven was that big during that era. I, the, the villains I remember popping up, you know, Mysterio it popped up a few times. Uh, different, obviously, different incarnations of the Green Goblin. Uh, Shocker here and there. I'm just trying to think of things that, I don't know, and I'm not going to keep Kingpin things like that. I saw and Taran, Tarantula was pretty big in that era. The Taran, Tarantula because he was introduced. Tarantula was introduced in I think one one. Th- Thirty, I think 134, 135, Tarantula was introduced. So Tarantula was a fairly common opponent, and of course Tarantula is kind of cool because he was the uh, he also was the first villain in Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man number one. So I kind of remember that too, since that was big at the time when Spider-Man was getting his. Since that wasn't a big thing for Marvel back then, having characters having multiple books, not counting the Marvel Tales reprint title, that this was a when they relaunched during when Spider-Man was when the show was on TV and stuff like that when when his popularity was super big that's when they did Peter Parker the spectacular Spider-Man number one and the Tarantula was the first villain that he faced in that so but yeah so do like Craven though I do like Craven but I don't but he was not he was not particularly they had a lot of obscure villains I think a lot of one-shot kind of like villains, Rocket, like even and even like Rocket Racer, who showed up a lot. I think in the early '80s or late '70s, early '80s. So they had a lot of because obviously the real Green Goblin was was kaput and the Chameleon would show up too, things like that. But not I don't, but not not so much Craven. I I don't think. All right. Uh, any last thoughts on Werewolf by Night? Um. It's kind of, 
I think I know. I don't want to monopolize it. I think. No, I like. I just think it has. I thought. Hope I picked a decent enough arc to kind of give you a little bit of a taste of what the. Series oh yeah, was. I mean, I definitely enjoyed it. I didn't say much about what I thought about it, but I mean, yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. I, I think the kind of the point of this is for us to sort of wrap, you know, uh, wax rhapsodic about our own memories and and impressions of it rather than anything else. I, I definitely enjoyed it, and like I said, it, it piqued my curiosity for prior issues and for and, and latter issues, but. If I were to actually purchase it, I can see myself purchasing like a Marvel Essentials volume, like a black and white thing, uh, if, if it's in that volume. Um, because the only Marvel Essentials I have is uh, Man-Thing. Oh, uh, Man-Thing. So, uh, which uh, I've read several issues of because uh, those are pretty hefty tomes. Uh, you can't really read those at a clip, but uh, I read several issues of that, and I was surprised at how much I like it. So I feel like if I were to venture down the the horror well, it would be with Marvel rather than DC. Because I feel like DC, what they did well for me, um, not that they didn't do things like Swamp Thing and everything well, but um, I think what DC did well for me were the more adventure titles, because I noticed myself purchasing things like... Uh, the first uh, volume of like uh, the Adams Adventures, the first Challengers of the Unknown, uh, you know, stuff like that. I feel like they did just uh, standard sci-fi better, uh, and Marvel seemed to really—I mean, at least for a brief window there—really right. capture the horror or the the horror aspect. And I feel like, uh, which which isn't to discount uh, DC in any way, because I'm. I've said before, I'll say again, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Ryan Daly's uh, It's Midnight, the podcasting hour, which covers a lot of those uh, uh, DC horror titles, which were not often, more times than not, just straight-up horror stories. Uh, and they did fantastic, uh, those, those various series. So they were very amazing. But when it comes to just out-and-out horror characters we're talking like man thing we're talking werewolf by night and the, the vampires and so on and so forth as opposed to just standard horror i feel like marvel did the character horror so much better for a, a brief window and i think i think dc also was more of the anthology type of that's what they right. were, that's what they were that's what they were true that's what they went for and 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 that's and they had there's a place for that, and I enjoy and I enjoy that the idea you pick up, yeah, you know, house house of mystery, or you pick up uh, house of secrets, yeah, house of secrets, or the unexpected tales of the unexpected, or mysteries in space and time warp, and they kind of kind of kind of even even the ones featuring main characters, like some of the Spectre stories, had an anthology sort of feel to them. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, but, that, but that's definitely but that's definitely what they that's definitely. I think overall the the difference in the vibe with DC was going for they were going for a more like uh, creep show. They got they, yeah. that their books were more like more like creep show you where you were you were gonna get like uh, depending on the size of the book, especially when they were doing the dollar size ones, which were great when you got like the eighty page books for for like a dollar. That the the idea of having you know multiple you know five six seven eight depending on the size of the stories at least you know in, in every in every book and some and and to be fair like we've talked about and we'll probably talk about it again some of those there are some of those stories that I still you know I still you know remember vividly uh, uh like a time war like a, I I keep forgetting I think I it was either a mystery in space or a time warp but I always forget which or what which 
in which they were in the future and they were going to go back to assassinate Hitler. And of course, you would think they would have thought this out a little better. Uh, but they go back, you know, with this super like super laser rifle to kill Hitler at the Nuremberg rally, and they and they do it. But of course, they but the Nazis find it, find the assassin, and they kill him. Of course, and they get the weapon, and then they you know reverse engineer it. So instead of having a thousand year Reich, in theory, you end up having an actual hundred year Reich. So then what you so then you literally have you know one of those paradoxes of time travel where the where the story ends with like all these different assassins being sent back in time, and everybody like has each one like in in, in you know, in the crosshairs of another gun and things like that. So that's one of those stories that I just vividly remember. And I think that was, like I said, I, I think it was Mystery in Space, uh, but it could have been time, it could have been, it could have been Time Warp too, but, but that's what they did. That, the, the, the genre, you know, a lot, there were a lot of really cool horror and sci-fi anthology things that, D, that DC did. So that was their different take on it, but you're right. I think for individual characters, which for an ongoing, you know, that's what in our mind's eye, that's what we really see. That's what's the most successful, focusing in on one character. That I think. Sure. Uh, All right, we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we will talk about Marvel Chillers. Hello, everyone. I'm Al Sedano, host of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Over the last few years, this show has covered Adam's life, from his early appearances in Fantastic Four and Thor, to his run as Space Jesus on Counter-Earth. Now, we have made it midway through the 1970s in Jim Starlin's iconic run on the character. The Magus, Gamora, Pip the Troll, and Adam finally meeting Thanos. Speaking of Thanos, we haven't forgotten about him. We will soon be starting our coverage of Starlin's hardcover graphic novel, The Infinity Relativity, starring Thanos. So join me, along with my regular co-hosts, John Wilson and Brian Zeno, as well as others, on Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com Fifty years ago, Southeast Asia became a home away from home for two million Americans as they fought in the biggest, the longest, and most controversial conflict their nation had known since the war between the states. Old enough to kill, but too young to vote. This is their story. Stan Lee presents The Nam. <laughs> Join me, Tom Panneries, as I bring you an issue-by-issue look at The Nam, the Marvel Comics series that documented the lives of troops in the Vietnam War. Each episode covers one issue of the comic, as well as the history of the war, and I also take the occasional look at movies, music, television, novels, and other culture of the Vietnam War. New episodes drop every two weeks at twotruefreaks.com and popcultureaffidavit.com. Nobody... 
Fantastic Ass is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that taste forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team-Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? Alright guys, we're back from break. Check out some of those podcasts because if you like what we're talking about tonight, you're definitely going to uh, like uh, listening to some of their shows for sure. Um, but we're back now to talk about my side of things, which is Marvel Chillers number one and number two, which features the first appearance of a character Marvel came to know as Modred the Mystic. Some people say Modred, I think that sounds stupid. Uh, so I go with Modred the Mystic. Um, fantastic character. My first experience uh, with comics, uh, Mark has a bit more of a detailed memory than I do in this regard. I have no idea where these comics came from. Uh, as a kid, I read my, you know, my Peanuts and my Garfield and my Calvin and Hobbes volumes, so on and so forth. But in all of that, I had a stack of about five or six random single issue comics. I have no memory of where they came from. I just remember that I had them. And I had Miss Marvel number one. I had from the seventies when she had got her own series. I had that I, too somewhere. I had uh the second issue of a team up between Dark Horses uh, uh I believe it was yeah, I believe it was Dark Horses Nexus. And uh, Valiant's Magnus the Robot Fighter, unless I have those two companies mixed up with their characters, but you get the idea. The second issue of that. And I had a reprint of uh, Marvel Masterworks, which was X-Men, Giant Size X-Men number one, first appearance of the X-Men. I had uh, Union number one, or number zero, rather, of all things, with a embossed hollow foil cover and it's all it's 90s glory uh, <laughs> union number uh, zero and i had marvel chillers number one featuring the first appearance of madrid the mystic um given that random eclectic collection of comics it's weird that i ended up on the dc side since none of that was dc uh but here i am uh and i remember Specifically, since we're talking uh, the the Marvel Chillers thing, well, first one thing you should know about Marvel Chillers didn't go very long. Uh, the Marvel Chill- Chillers uh, sort of imprint only lasted, I want to say, six to eight issues, um, and uh, the first two were Madrid the Mystic, and from then on it became a uh, a soundboard, a, a solo series for Tigra, actually. Uh, which is another interesting connection between yep. our two books. Yes, yes, Tiger, <laughs> yep. 
which I noticed when I was paging through there. Uh, was it was Werewolf by Night where she got introduced, or was she just appearing there because of sort of the where aspect of things? I don't remember if that's where she got introduced. She might have she might have been introduced first in that. I'll have to I'll have to double check that. But I do as, as you were as you were. As you were talking about that, I was going to say I do I do obviously remember remember uh, Tigra um, and her you know remember remembering her I remember her like in you know because obviously she has a she has a background with not being Tigra too I mean as in appearing normal but but she, but obviously she is best best known as uh, in her animal form yeah. Um. So uh, that's Chillers didn't last long, and and and, and Modern himself didn't last long. As a matter of fact, I had that first issue of Marvel Chillers number one, and I didn't find uh, number two or think to look for number two, I guess, until just a couple of years ago. Um, and it's only very recently, within the last year slash few months, that I realized that Modred showed up again in sort of this form. Uh, before he came kind of an out-and-out villain in the Marvel Universe in uh, the Marvel 2-in-1 series, alongside The Thing. Um, there was a cover with him in Madre the Mystic, which I haven't seen in any back issues. So if any of you guys out there have, because uh, I don't think it's worth anything, but if anybody's got uh, that issue of of Marvel 2-in-1 uh, featuring Madre the Mystic, I'd love to see it. Uh, in some way, shape, or form. So reach out to the show. But um, otherwise, I guess I'll just resort to eBay. But yeah, Modred. I, I I'll be honest. I didn't follow him. Uh, I've read uh, based on various Wikipedia articles and like Comic Vine appearance listings and so on and so forth. Modred became an out and out villain in the uh, in the Marvel universe, which makes sense, sort of considering his origins and his powers and how that sort of would corrupt him. But uh, I, I remember reading this, and despite not knowing anything about comics, reading Marvel Chillers number one and coming away with a sense that, oh, this is different. This is... And now I've never, I've never read it, but I've heard fantastic things. And Mark, maybe you've read it, you could tell me. I've had heard fantastic things about a series called Camelot 3000. I have heard about Camelot 3000. I can't say that I've read it. I do remember when they were pushing it, though. I do remember when they, that was supposed to be like the next big thing or whatever. I do remember that. Yeah. So this sort of Knights of the Round Table sort of magic, but old world, you know, this medieval sort of feel, it, it just seemed different to me despite not having a good sense of what normal was in comics. Uh, and that's partly why I asked uh, if, if you, you to read the first issue and then wait a beat and then read the second issue, because that's how I experienced it. And uh, it, I, I don't know, man. It just that's, that's all I can really say about it, because I, I, I didn't follow him from there, and I don't have a strong attachment to him, but I just remember that first issue really having an impact on me on where I thought they would go with it. Because when I read the second issue, it's not like it's an incredibly huge departure. But, you know, once you read that and then you read up on what happened to this character later on, you're like, oh, man, they went such a different direction than, with that than I would have thought they did would. 
he could he could have been like uh, uh, another Doctor Strange, sort of a character. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So you want to go ahead and uh, take the wheel and uh, tell us about these two issues? I will take the wheel and do the best I can. But uh, Tiger and Werewolf by Night both were in Giant Size Creatures number one. That is her first appearance as Tigra, not as uh, the cat, uh, as, the Greer Nel- as the Greer Nelson non-mutated hairy character. <laughs> but yeah, they both were in giant-sized creatures, and giant-sized creatures eventually just became giant-sized uh, werewolf by giant-sized werewolf with the second issue. So that was that. So that is the so technically speaking, yes, and a and a a book that would eventually be you no know, be officially a werewolf by night type. You know, titles. That's where she made her first appearance. Now, I did have a question for you. This just happened mm-hmm. to be the version of the of the Marvel Chillers you were able to find, right? Because your your this isn't exactly how yours appeared, right? Because this is because this is this is obviously an English an English version. Uh, this your, is how this is how mine read. I meant the cover. I, I meant the cover. Oh, the cover. Because Let me see. the cover is it's clearly. It's clearly English, the English, the English. Oh, color. all cooler, yeah. All color uh, and, and the pounds. Uh yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I'm not sure. I'll have to double check because it's buried somewhere in my long boxes. Um, because it's, as you can imagine, pretty well worn. Um, yeah, go- I'll have to double check. Yeah, I'm going to assume it's just the way they were they were scanned in. I'm just going to assume, but just, it's one of the things that struck that struck me as soon as I saw it was that you know it says Marvel. reading it it didn't seem different. So I oh think no the no interior the book, dialogues oh the book no, no the in, the interior is the same because actually if you just look, read the, read the stuff on the that's why I double checked and read the stuff on the bottom of the page just to make sure on the first page to make sure everything was the way it would be like on all the comics that came out during that era with all this. With all the stuff in the bottom, just to make sure that it wasn't published in particular, like over in England. But no, just, I, everything else looks the same. Though I mean, I, I remember the sorcery from the past invades the world of today, and introducing a new superstar in the magical Marvel manner, pulse pounding premiere issue. They love all their, that they stuff. love their alliteration. <laughs> I, I like alliteration too, so I can appreciate that. But Marvel was really, they were really big on on uh, alliteration in your face back in the seventies. But I just happened to notice, yes, the all-color comic, C-O-L-O-U-R, the English way of spelling it, and the nine pounds, obviously, instead of like 25 cents or tw- whatever it would have been, 20 cents at the time. So, yeah, so Marvel Chillers, number one, featuring Ma- – you, you want it to be Madrid, right? Madrid. The Madrid. I, I say Madrid. I think that sounds cool. All right, so I, gotta, I have to try to consciously keep that in mind. In my mind's eye, it was Modred because I'm thinking Modred like Mordred. That's I mean that, that that could be the exact you know way that Marvel wants it to be pronounced, but it's just it's going to be ingrained in my head because that's how I pronounced it. That's fine. You know? I just I, I'm just gonna I just wanted to double check one time before I get into you know into it so I can try to not go back and forth 55 times. Um, all right, so Stanley presents Modric the Mystic, and you you have the you have Modric there holding up a, a magical book. And he has it open, and they, and they show us what it says, pretty much, which is, Know ye, seeker, by the evidence of thine senses, that the flame of wonder doth burn in the world, and magic doth live again. <laughs> He's very <laughs> Thor-like. He could also have been Thor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so then we get, in, so we get into the uh, the heart of the story here, where we have Janet 
with Lighten and Grant Whitaker, the two English archaeologists who uh, pretty much have some arc, some unorthodox theories, and they're you know they're and they're and they're they're digging to you know they're basically they believe in the legend of of the car is that Karn? Karn. I don't know what that word is. K C A I R N. I don't know. Let me see what it says. Karen. Yeah, maybe. It means a mound of rough stones built as a memorial or landmark. So, mm. so, ba- so basically, so basically they 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 believe what they you know they they found what basically is you know almost like the burial place of of of, of the dark hold, and they've been having tr- and essentially probably not by coincidence they've been having trouble like getting getting closer and closer because every time they 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 always have some quote unquote act of God happen to them which is really a bad sign when you think about it. As they as they try to like they try to dig deeper and deeper and un, unearth this, uh, as they're debating you know as they they keep digging and they kind of have a debate about what they should do and everything else and all of a sudden you know you know the, the storm that's going on at the time you know it washes away the supports the the tunnel that they're they're working in caves in and everything goes pitch black for a second but then they both regain consciousness they're okay. And then they realize that there's bright light from from the further down the tunnel calling to them, and they so they gravitate. <laughs> Stay out of the light! Don't walk towards the light! But they walk towards the light, and they're slumped over, slumped over, in a chair, with like four flames sur- surrounding him. Is Madrid. and they're all kind of I'm like it's like they're like a my good lord, Grant, it's a man, and then we have. Uh, I'll read this little thing. It says, "Prepare thyselves, enlightened ones, and be ready for magics, the likes of which you've never dreamt." As mighty Marvel ushers in a brand new era of demons, delight, and dark fantasies in a tale sure to renew your faith in yesterday. Magic is alive. <laughs> this has a this has a good this has a good uh, creative theme too. Inspired by Marv Wolfman, uh, uh, written written by Bill Mantlo. I like the way they they use their fancy words here. Uh, obviously, but Young Montano is the is the artist. Uh, let's see, we got Tan, Tony San Jose, Peter Goldberg, transcri- transcribed and colored by respectively, and edited by Len Wein. Mm-hmm. So both our books kind of have relatively impressive casts. <laughs> <laughs> A cast of thousands. Uh, so. So Grant and Janet kind of like they see him slumped over and they just assume at first that he's just extremely well preserved because of the lack, you know, the lack of air in the chamber and the lack of and related to the humidity and everything else. And she gets close, you know, she gets close to the flame and she kind of loses her balance and falls. And just by and at that and when that happens, somehow that basically triggers Madrid to open his eyes and the long closed eyelids flutter. To open and open, I should say, and uh, he's alive. Janet get back. They're all. It's like a, but of course, as as often happens in these out of place, out of time stories, you have uh, Madrid sees uh, Janet as his former love, Janice, and he reaches out towards her. Towards her, he falls into the flames himself, and when that happens, pretty much all you know, the flames all. The supernatural fire pretty much all gets absorbed by him. He falls flat on his face. Uh, Janet, her first, you know, her first natural instinct is to run over to him to see if he's okay. And she, you know, 
Madrid keeps calling her Janice still, and this is when she's got to break it to him that, hey, you know, my name's Janet, I'm not Janice, it's like, I've never seen you before, way to kick, way to kick a guy right in the nards, man, <laughs> he's, already, he's already been down there for like <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years, and it's like, oh, my love, who the hell are you, <laughs> uh, so, uh, they kind of point out, you know, it's like, uh, Madrid points out, you know, about you know about the dark hold, you know, it's like a, it's like, where, where, you know, where is this place? Tis not the tower, of the dark hold, where I did, where I used to dwell, basically. And Grant's like, dark hold, we were right, Janet, you were right, you were right. It did exist, and he's like, it did then, it no longer exists. And Janet says, oh no, you know, it was dark hold we were digging for, but it's no more than a legend told to schoolboys now, and all this stuff, and that pretty much. And, he, and of course, the the other out of time, out of place uh, thing you always count on is when the person asks, like, what time, what year is this? <laughs> and it's 1975, and it's like a, it has been 1,100 years since Madrid pretty much had been functioning. And we we now he kind of delves into his background. You know, he was a he basically was an apprentice ma- magician, and he was in love. You know, you see Janice, you know, the love of his life, and. You know, Janice, but Janice's father, correct, was his master. That's what yes. it is. That she, that uh, he was he was Madrid's master, and they have a. We get to the point where basically what we find out is he obviously he wants to uh, Madrid wants to marry Janice. Janice wants to marry Madrid, but and and. And her father's pretty okay with that, except for the fact that I like this take that more or less you still have Merlin around at this time, and Merlin's supposed to be like he 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 he, he, he flipped his uh he flipped his staff he flipped his magic hat whatever however you envision Merlin flipped his beard that Merlin's not entirely stable at this point so pretty much anybody that anybody that goes to work or serve under under Merlin in King Arthur's court pretty much never comes back because they more or less more or less take a vow of silence so the and and they're never heard from again literally so if he goes to serve Merlin he will never see Janice again they'll never be married so he pretty much rejects this even though supposedly he you know you have you have to do what you're told but Madrid points out no you know there's still the, the book of the dark hold and basically he's you know he he seeks the power of the you know the book of the dark hold he wants to he wants to that you know that is going to be the way he's going to how would you say he's gonna he's gonna own he's gonna hone his skills well, at the same time avoid having the service of uh, yeah the, the, those are the two aspects of it uh he he's been called by the king arthur's court to go there um and, and by merlin to go there but uh he it, it, and uh, Janice's father, his master, will not allow him to be uh, to be married to his daughter until he's an apprentice no more. So, but he's taught him everything he can. So, there's t- it's twofold. By acquiring the power of the Darkhold, he'll be an apprentice no longer, and also King Arthur and Merlin can't say shit to him. Right. Yeah. So this basically forces, um, well, forces as in this is the choice that he makes. Madrid basically goes, goes, excuse me, goes off to to seek the Tower of Darkhold to learn to learn to learn this power, and you know for for all for both of those reasons, 
to you know to master his own abilities to you know to kind of like the the sorcerer supreme aspect of this and to basically to hopefully eventually be able to marry Janice so he, you know so he 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 enters that he enters the tower he uh, he finds you know he finds the book of the dark hold he you know this is what I guess. This is kind of like you see a little bit of maybe the, of the dark side qualities that they kind of develop later on about like may Merlin quake at the sound of my name and everything else. And as, as he narrates this, he goes, "I know it's not what was happening to me. I felt a strange dark power flowing like an evil tide into my soul. The storm with, without seemed to grow, and as if nature herself was rebelling against that which I was about to do. And dear Lord, I know, I know not how it did occurred." But that cursed book did lay its hold on me, and and, it, and I did speak in its tongue in words I knew not. So, based, so obviously the you know the dark you know as he literally says the dark hole filled my brain, and based, so based, so basically it, it placed a, it placed a stamp on him, and bef- more or less essentially cutting to the chase he eventually he eventually kind of was cursed he was cursed where he you know he. The, but first, first the dark hole was threatening to take Janice, but but he makes but he says no, you know you will not take her, take me instead, and pretty much that's exactly you know that, that's exactly what happened, you know, the dark hole, you know he heard a you know whispering a, a cruel vicious voice, voicing you know thank you Madrid, and you know, it did depart, and and more or less, uh, essentially he was. He seemed, you know, he seemed like he was dead, but he really wasn't, and that kind of that pretty much led to him being what entombed. Mm-hmm. And well, what had happened was it, 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 it the other de- de- demanded a sacrifice, and it was going to be him, but he said no. But right then uh, is when Janice enters the room, so it goes after her, and then he says, "Wait, hold on, it's going to go after her. No, then take me instead." You know, gotcha. So it goes. So it goes full circle. Yeah. So, so pretty, and then he it, it enters him, and he's put into a essentially a, a sleep. Yeah. Yep. More like a suspended animation. They kind of they kind of, and her father, Janice's father, kind of you know pretty much kind of like resides over this as they're burying him. It's like my. Madre, that which he did waste done in the fury of the, of youth, and twas love which does motivate thee. I can I can fault thee not. Still, that what is, which is done may not be undone. Rest well, my pupil, and know that it is your blessing and your curse to be raised again, to stride time circle, and until said time I will build about thee a crypt to keep thee safe from the ravages of the centuries, a tomb that will store up thine power for the day that thou wilt walk upon the earth, and the world will know that magic is alive again. So basically, those magical flames, all the power, you know, he's basically, even though he's been inactive pretty much, he's still been getting stronger, and almost like it was his destiny that when he would wake up that he would kind of like show the world that, hey, magic's still here. Uh, of course, Grant, it's always got to be one disbeliever in the group, he kind of, he doesn't he doesn't buy all this. Uh, Madrid seems pretty cool with the fact that it's, it's perfectly understandable that you, you know, why someone, somebody would doubt this. Uh, now they they are kind of they are kind of running out of air in the, in, this, in this little place, so you know so Madrid uses you know he uses his magic you know for you know as he says you know that uh, 
the dark, the dark power, you know, the sacrifice of the dark powers made in full, and from the, and from this day onward, you know, for better or for worse, I am Madrid. So he uses the powers that pretty much to help, you know, break break them out of um, their entombment from the from the collapsed collapsed cave. And you know, he kind of like he fills, you know, he fills the uh, once they get out of the ground, they, he fills kind of like back in the tomb again. And they kind of like, did you always have the powers to do things like that? And it's like, twas, and it's like, nay, my lady, twas a gift from the dark hole. What may be the price of that gift? I know not. So it's, it's so. And that level, it kind of reminds me a little of a spawn, almost. You know, that he's got that power. That he's got this power from an evil place, and and eventually it's also going to run out. But you, but you kind of, you know, there's going to be literally hell to pay for using this power <laughs> at some point. But you, but you're still going to use it anyway. So. That you know, pretty much now he's now he's now he's he's freed and he's going to walk the earth again and he's going to experience life and and then I, I do I do like the way it ends though and, and a sigh like the rustling of a snake's scales on on wet grass permeates the requiet or the quiet excuse me of the reburied crypt a sigh that might be only the hiss of the flames or something other and and the flames around his chair in his tomb just start up again so that mm-hmm. is dun dun dun. So that ends Marvel Chiller's Numero Uno, which I did like better than number two, I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> so on to number two? On to number two. Uh, so the cover features a Madrid. It's like, thou art my thou art my equal in the mystic arcs, arts, excuse me, demon spawn, but this world be not big enough for the both of us. This day one of us must die, and is lo- alone against the other is the title. Now, I do like his... He looks a little cooler in, on the cover of number two, but that that blob thing he's fighting doesn't. <laughs> looks like a dire race from Rom is what it looks like. Kinda. Uh, so let's we jump into uh, and the art the art the art is different, right? In this book, the artist is different. Yeah, this is yeah. by Sony Trinidad. Trinidad. I actually mm-hmm. I think I kinda, I do like the art better in this book. I do admit. So issue two is titled "Of Magic and Madness." And you have, you know, in again the typical '70s fashion, you know, in a way you have Madre like, "Get thee back, damnable demon of darkness." There's that alliteration again. Uh, Thou hast no hold on Madre's life. It's like doing Shakespeare when we do it. <laughs> and then you have like, he, you know, he's sh- he's shooting mystic bolts, you know, in, you know, at something, and you hear it respond. There you are wrong, Madre. You have no life that does not belong to Darkhold. So obviously the evil doesn't need to to speak in uh, old English or Shakespearean. <laughs> <laughs> Pulse pounding magic and mysticism brought to you as only mighty Marvel can. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the action starts now. Yes, that was all on the first page. So now we're back in London, and the police force is ro- the police force is rolling out into in, into Piccadilly, and they're all freaking out. And we see we see Ma- Madrid there with his arms raised, uh, and the, you know everybody's panicking. The cops are you know. I like having the. What, what is this? What, what was the time frame for this? Like early, like early twentieth century. Uh, uh, 1975. It was set in 1975. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's, uh, you're right because the. Uh, I'm only going That's by what Grant their hats. Yeah, because I'm only going by their hats. For some reason, their hats looked a little outdated. But I guess. Maybe, well, still in still in uh, England, England or whatever. Yeah, they they're Britain. Yeah. They use the the wi- the lawyers and crap use wigs still. Yeah, that so. is true. 
I think that yeah. in, the, in the vehicle for some reason in the vehicle. So that was my fault. I I I, I do remember the 1975 thing. Like eleven hundred years or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so the cops are all freaking out and they're all you know it's like he's a bloody he's a bloody madman. That's what he is. And he's tearing the street apart like paper mache. And Madrid's like, get back, demons or dreams or whatever you are. Or thou art. I get thee back. So now it's like, something as ancient as the pillared pillars of Stonehenge. Something as old as the crumbled cairns that tear the surface of the rolling hills of merry old England. And something that will soon stride forth to be named in whispers. The other. Dun, dun, dun. I don't like his shoes. He's got like, <laughs> he, he's got like pilgrim shoes. Doesn't he? With the buckle. Yeah, with the buckle. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Bill Mantlow story, Sunny Trinidad art, San Jose letters, uh, Petra G colors, more of Wolfman editing. So two good, so two impressive editors on these, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So essentially here, what's going on is we're getting like, we're getting like two perspectives on this. Uh, Modred, Mod, Modred, excuse me, is seeing stuff that is either not there or he's seeing thing or seeing things that the normal human beings are not seeing. Like he sees the he sees the police he sees the police as these horrible you know demons with with spears and everything else, but he obviously but he obviously sees something that a real threat that he has to deal with, uh, but that but that's a lot of what's going on here. He sees he sees the like, demons in front of him when they're actually police. It is kind of funny though when the police shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> what what is this flying metal from fire and smoke? Ouch. Um, so so he so he, colla- so he collapses. He's not. He's obviously not m- mortally wounded. He's able to like scurry away. And of course, uh, Janet is is there, and she and, and she rescues him. <laughs> Grant's got got, got like a, a getaway bus. So they they throw him in there, and she starts she starts treating his wound. And this and this is the part. Well, see, just because again, and I this is part of probably why reading these with a little bit of. A gap is good because essentially we got a page after page after page rehash of what we just saw in the last issue. <laughs> a whole lot of rehashing of the discovery of Madrid and Madrid's original, his origin and everything else. Uh, as as Grant's driving, he's kind of pointing out it's like uh it's like it's this rain. Something strange is about it. You know, it seems to be it seems to be the heaviest close to the boss. Like, oh, good grief! That's a fault. Sorry, my fault. Yeah, that's all right. Go ahead. It's all right. Just leave it in. It was at a dramatic moment anyway. <laughs> so you got like this, like almost like weird funky rain on the. It's a bus, but it's more like a Scooby Doo van. Come on. <laughs> and they see like a light ahead of them as the van, the bus is approaching it, and you know, Madra's like, "No, tis no far, my fear," and basically, as as they're getting, you know, as they're getting closer, we find out that pretty much uh. They can't. You know, Grant can't move, even though he's he's slamming full full throttle. Nothing's moving. They're standing still. You know, Janice like that's impossible. Something's wrong with the bus. And and Madrid, Madrid goes. I've heard him call. I thought I did. Hope it was not basically just the wind or the rain. But no, it was him. I believe now for the words did grip my heart in a fist of iron. And you know the light keeps coming. The light keeps coming closer to them. It keeps calling, and it's the it's the other and. Uh, you know, the unholy laughter against fills his mind, and it's like, welcome, stripling, we are pleased that you live once more, which obviously this was the voice that laughed at him previously. 
It's like, we waited so long for you to, re- to awaken, to return to the tith of the dark hole, the price of your power. And of course, uh, Madrid kind of try to, tries to resist a little bit. It's like, rash upstart, how can you defy that of which you are a part? Bow to us. Bow to yourself. Bow, stripling. I guess obviously they love that stripling word. <laughs> Bow. and Again, I say nay. He just needs that hammer. I'm telling you. <laughs> And of course, once again, everything that's going on, you know, Janet and Grant don't hear any of this. Grant just being, you know, he's he's in that dick role in this story. Uh, I knew it. He's crazy. Uh, now, now all of a sudden, you know, the the bus pretty much uh, like crashes into the light. It, it rips apart. Uh, the voice, you know, the vo- you know the light of the other place. The light keeps calling, calling to Madrid. Excuse me, to Madrid. No, Madrid it keeps face us and. Face us and crawl. I think not, creature of hell. And at least this time they they acknowledge that he's talking to the light. So at least they can physically see the light. So he's not totally nuts. You know, you know, Madrid pretty much engages in engages in this mystical battle. You know, with the other, and you know, he he animates. You know, he animates the trees themselves, uh, the very forest, and the column of light begins a long you know wail that you know t- tears the natural storm down out of the sky. And you know they they keep taunting him. You are nothing, nothing mortal. But Madrid, you know, he basically resists. I too possess power, power that has never been tested before. You know, the power of, of bounds which have never been found. And you know, basically, he starts gaining the up. He starts gaining the upper hand, and he's like, he kind of like taunts you know the other now. You know, where is I menace now, demon? The power that lives, demon. The power of magic. And at that point, you know. Madrid appear, you know, pretty much is seemingly victorious, even though you kind of get a glimpse a little bit of what the other might look like, and it continues. It, it still laughs at him. It's like, a, even though, even though he seems to be, you know, he seems to be winning the battle. They they point out, you know, the scream of a thousand deaths piercing it at at, Ma, at Modred's mind, tearing the fabric of his thoughts, annihilating a segment of his soul. Again, maybe hinting at his eventual complete turn to the dark side. He knows then. As the other whips away into the storm, that he has slain an, an infinitesimal part of himself, and as he laughs, a broken, cackling, unearthly laugh. You know, the uh, so basically, you know, it's like he, it's like, what, what would you say here? He kind of like embrace, he kind of embraces his power to a certain extent. What do you think? To he, a certain extent, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe not necessarily embraces his power so much as de- embraces the origins of his power. Yeah, I think that sums it up nicely. And that and that pretty much, you know, that pretty much continues for everything whirls around him. He's still using his power until everything settles back down. You know, it, it is done, as they say, the victor sinks to his knees in the muddy earth as the night sky clears, the storm vanishing as if it had never been. Flame licks at fallen timber about the clearing and the other is gone. And uh, Janet comes running to him, uh, Grant goes over too, but you can tell he doesn't care. Uh, and they just kind of, they kind of like, just more or less, they kind of <laughs> catch their breath over what happened. And and he kinda, and Madrid kind of goes, points, you know, that uh, he has not seen what I am capable of. In every case, he has been elsewhere. But I promise you this, Grant Whitaker, you will see and perhaps play a part in a match that will spell the destruction for either life or death on this world. For though the other is gone, the power of the dark hole is infinite, and its manifestations are as diverse as time itself. 
Alright, what'd you think? I like the character. The character is cool. I kind of... He has a little parallax in him. I kind of can, I can, I can get into that. I can, I can kind of get into that. I, <laughs> I, I thought, I thought, I like, I like. Well, maybe I should amend my the statement when I started to do this issue. I kind of like. There was more substance to this issue as far as an from an action perspective in this issue. I didn't like the way it began. You know, with in the part in London and him basically, you know. Seeing things, either seeing things that weren't there, or him being made to see, pe- you know, the people as demons and things like that when they weren't. That part I didn't like. Once they got it, you know, once they got into the forest and dealing with the other and the light, I did like that part. I did like the art much better in this issue. Uh, the main, it's a pro- so probably the main thing I didn't like about this issue, honestly, was just the fact that they spent so many pages recapping everything we saw in the last issue. Right. That was a significant, con- but. But I liked it. I liked the character. I think it was so. And I had never read. I had never read these books before. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, what did you? Th- what did you think of the, the the first issue in particular? Obviously. In juxtaposition, I guess, to the second, or or just in and of itself. Well, I think the fir- I think the first issue. That's again because we were talking about the first issue. Definitely has. I don't know if I'm necessarily again if the golden age is the right if is the right phrase. But it has a definitely has an older, an older feel to it, more like maybe your classic horror com- comics and things like that. The way it's drawn, the way it's written, and maybe again, is maybe it's not a coincidence that that based on you know, them discovering him in an ancient way and his and his origins being pretty much the whole story that they're telling, maybe that vibe fits and the art in that style fits. And in the second issue, obviously, it's just a much more modern feel. Even when there's a, they're in the woods and basically he is fighting the, you know, this ancient power, it still feels more like a modern comic to me. So I think I think that's something that the juxtaposition there between the the two issues. That's one of the things I one of the things I picked up on. Plus, just yeah, a little change in the character that you know he's obviously a little more he's a little more confident and maybe a little more arrogant in in issue two. And issue one, he just seems a little more. I don't know if happy-go-lucky is the right word, but he seems a little more. Uh, he 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 seems to act a little more Thor-like too in his attitude, in the way in his way of looking at things. And well, you know, that's one of the things I really like about it. As cheesy as it looks, those final few panels where you see his face uh, in the first issue after he's done telling his story, he's got this sort of wide-eyed, happy smile on his face, like you know, like he's looking at at. at at uh, at Jane just being like uh, you know he's saying things like you know he's looking at her she doesn't know that magic is real and he's like ah oh, but my lady magic is real it's, it's almost like he's awash with wonder you know what I mean right. like he's just, I've got this thing this cool thing to show you and just wait till you see and and it's not and it's not like in, in a sinister way. He's whereas you know later in life you know of this character it's gonna be like wait till you see my power this is a wait till you see what I can show you you know this this whole world is about to be opened up for you and he's smiling and he's clear eyed and and so on and so forth which I think is really cool because um, it's it's he's got this it, 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 I like the origin too because yeah he's like he's arrogant a, a bit. Um, uh, almost borderline, seemingly, seemingly, depending on how you read it, uh, unappreciative to Janice's father. Um, 
But what he does in approaching the Darkhold despite knowing the danger is out of love. Yep. And then he is cursed. So that's kind of why I don't even, I'm not really that interested in reading more about where he went because I don't want to see him fall. That's not where I saw this character going. Could he be tempted? Could he have moments of, of weakness to where maybe he was overtaken by the Darkhold and, and possessed and so on and so forth? And yeah, that, that could be interesting arcs. But I don't want to see him go down the villain rabbit hole forever, you know. No, you know, I'd like to. Yeah. I'd like to see a story with with Madrid where he is the villain, but then, you know, the influencer, the, the the he he gets control of his own faculties back, and you see this same look on his face, this sort of clear eyed, blue eyed, just happiness, you know, just happy to have this power and. And, and, you know, just happy to be around sort of a face, uh, just return to him. You know, his face go from hard villain face to this face you see in this first issue. Um, so that's that's kind of what I like about it. I wanted to talk a bit about the Darkhold since it plays uh, a role in both of ours. Uh, I'm on uh, Wikipedia right now. And I'm just going to read this paragraph where it says origin. So if you're on Wikipedia and you look up Darkhold, this is what you're going to see here. And forgive me, because there's a word here I'm not sure how to pronounce. C-H-T-H-O-N, Chathon, I'm going to say. Um, a a d- demonic elder god who was the Earth's first practitioner of black magic was the principal author of the Darkhold. Being ap- academic, Chathon wrote all of his collected knowledge of magic into the iron-bound scrolls that served as the first form of the Darkhold. It remained as the Darkhold after most of the demonic elder gods were slain by the Demogorgon except for Chithlon and Set. The Darkhold's power is so vast, it took the combined strength and will of both Merlin and St. Brendan uh, to contain it. Even together, they were unable to destroy it or its power. Uh, Mordred is also seemed to believe that the use of Darkhold would grant him sufficient strength to challenge Merlin himself. Now, this is, I think this they might be referring to Modred, because that's not the spelling. Uh, no, but it's, it's, you know. it's, it's the King Arthur Modred. Oh, okay. I cl- I cl- I cl- yeah, I cl- I'm on the same page. I clicked on the link, and it, it takes you. Okay. It, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> also seem to believe that the use of the Darkhold would grant him sufficient strength to challenge Merlin himself. And then from there, paragraphs about the first vampire, so you'll learn about the vampires uh, in the Marvel Universe. Red Sonia uh, is mentioned in here, Morgan Le Fay, and a little while later, werewolves. So, um, and you can read in there in the werewolf section all about uh, the history of uh, uh, Jack uh, Russell's family. Um, but yeah, that's 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 the Darkhold, um, which you know plays a big part into the reason why uh, season four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a big favorite of mine is because they brought the Darkhold in uh, as a part of it. So that was cool to see. But that that's one thing I just really liked about the um, the first issue of the series. It had this sort of this this arcane medieval sort of feel. But at the same time, despite the fact that it's like the winds are howling and he's cursed and he's entombed underground and 
one night a violent rainstorm awakens him, blah, blah, blah. But the end of that first issue is them standing out in the clear moonlight with these star, with, with these rocks just floating overhead. And they're not floating menacingly. They're just sort of, the, like I saw, like the wonder of magic, just sort of floating there. Like, wow, that's kind of cool. But then you get to the second issue, which again, guys, I read, I read years later. And it's like he he has gone sort of batshit for a little bit, um, not through any fault of like, but he's a man out of time, seeing cars and all this stuff, and he's like, he's just freaking out. <laughs> and because he's freaking out, but he's a man imbued with like boundless power granted from the freaking dark hold, he's causing crazy damage. So it just seemed weird to open that second issue when I finally found it and read it and just see him raving mad, casting spells and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, he, he finally finally calms down. They take him away and then he gets in this kind of cool fight with the other. Um, and by the way, the reason I read The Origin of the Darkhold is because according to Wikipedia, part of the reason that Madrid goes mad uh, and becomes a villain uh, is because the other slash Chathon, however you say his name, uh, they're kind of one and the same. It uh, infects him here in this issue. So, or so, something about either either a his origins or here this particular battle. One of the two, he is infected and possessed by. The, the spirit of this elder god. That's why he becomes evil. But it doesn't ever seem to be something that's just fully expelled from him. It's more like, not in the way like, like in the 90s, uh, uh, or not, not rather, not in the way that in the Jeff Johns era, Parallax would infect you uh, and just fully take over, but more like in the 90s where Parallax would infect you and you just you you weren't completely taken over by him. You were influenced by him. That's good. So evidently, that's what happened to Madrid with this spirit of this elder god who was the author of the Darkhold. So, but yeah, I just I, I really wanted to talk about it because I just I, despite them not being drastically different. For someone in my position who read these two issues years apart, they feel drastically different to me as opposed to what they may have felt to a reader in the 70s reading these back-to-back in the months that they came out. No, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely there's definitely a, a huge different vibe between, I think, the two issues, so... But yeah, it's interesting. It's 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 definitely interesting. The character I, I do like the I do like the int- and I I don't and I don't think I ever read that. I don't think I ever had that Marvel two and one either. Um, yeah, I was I was looking it up and it was uh, thirty three. Is that what it was? I think that's what it was. Let me see, Marvel two and one. Yeah, issue number thirty three. Uh, the Thing and Modred the Mystic. Have no fear, Grim. This creature will be destroyed. Yeah, before or after Alicia and me drowned. And demons from the past invade the world of today. Sorcery over Stonehenge. 
Marvel 2-in-1, issue number 33. And it's definitely the same Modred. Same costume and everything. And obviously he he has had interaction with Morbius and Werewolf by Night by looking at the synopsis of some of those stories. Um... I'm just yeah I'm just trying to skim I was skimming through some of his appearances just to see if there was if I had any and yeah he's he's an interesting character I wish they would have done more with him because I have talked to people who know quite a bit about comics and or quite a bit about the Marvel universe but when I mention Modra they're like oh yeah I mean I know who he is but he's not really that much of a anything He's kind of appeared here and there or whatever, but he's never been a big deal. And, and not to not to say that I'm not discounting him, but it's not it in the in the larger picture. It's not like Werewolf by Night was a big deal either, uh, in terms of like the larger universe. Uh, he was a bigger deal than Modred for sure, but at least people know who Werewolf by Night is. You know, at least relatively speaking, they can say, oh yeah, he had his own series and blah blah blah. It just seems like in Marvel Chillers number one and two, there was Modred, and then he kind of appeared in Marvel two and one, and then he was just kind of this random person in various things. Uh, I have the entire Darkhold series, because there was a series called The Darkhold from Marvel. I haven't read it, but I finally found it in the back issues for real cheap, and I picked it up. Uh, I just need to sit down one day and, and read through it. Supposedly, he shows up in there. Uh, I would hope so, <laughs> uh, given his serious connection to the Darkhold. Um, but yeah, uh, I just uh, I wish they I wish Marvel had done more with him. I can I can certainly understand that. I could see why it would have been it would be in, it would be interesting to see to see more. Actually, it's kind of funny, which is not I mean it's not related at all to this. I think to this. Not related to the story at all, but for some reason I was looking at you know when they're talking about the Marvel two and one, you know the Marvel two and ones, and I remember and I'm looking at some of the covers now. There was this really awesome crossover, and which was and I'm trying to remember who the I'm trying to see if I can the Dark Rider, the Dark Rider. There was this really awesome Mar- uh, Marvel team up story that ran I think for like looks like from issues like 41. To like f- maybe forty five or something, and it had because cr- I think it started with Spider Man and the Scarlet Witch, <coughs> and then and then it was Division, and then it was Moon, then it was Moon Dragon, and then Doctor Doom came involved, and it was like this really awesome storyline, and it, for some reason the vibe off of reading the stories or reading the descriptions of uh, you know kind of what what you were what the description of what ha- of Modred's Involvement in, in like uh, some of these other stories, it just kind of like, it kind of just reminded me of, of this, of this story arc. So, and I found by yeah, sup- yeah, got- yeah. Supposedly he was involved in like the Darkhold series and Rise of the Midnight Suns and Marvel Zombies and and so on and so forth. But I never really heard of anything where he was like a featured thing in any series. Whether he be the featured villain of somebody else or had his own series or, like, was, you know, a trusted confidant of Doctor Strange. You know, like, just right. a supporting character. He just always seems to 
pop in and out of the Marvel Universe after this point, which is part of the reason I want to find and have that that Marvel 2-in-1 is because it seems like another appearance, uh, starring appearance of the same ilk as Marvel Chillers. And those are obviously very few and far between. Yeah, it would be. It would be interesting to track down some of... Because I was looking at some of the... some. Of, his other appearances on, and I might actually have that vision in the Scarlet Witch number volume one, number four. I know I have a whole chunk of, I think I have that entire mini series. I think I have that final issue because I think it was a four issue mini series. So if he actually does appear in that, then I somewhere down there, I'm, I would, I actually would have at least read something with, with him in it, uh, outside of this. And, and probably, and hold on, what, and Avengers 185 to 187. See what, speaking of which, I, I like the fact that if you look at uh, Madrid and uh, Wikipedia, at least it shows you the American the American cover of that issue, <laughs> which which answers which answers our question. Uh, let's see, do I? Ha- oh yeah, oh okay. Let's see, that was that was. So I would have I would have read I would have also read the stuff with the event the stuff with the Avengers, because that had to do with yeah that had to oh yeah that had to do with the Scarlet Witch and uh, and Quicksilver. So I do have somewhere somewhere I have those issues too, because hmm. I was because I was I was reading the I was reading the uh, Avengers pretty religiously at that point because yeah that's a three that appears to be a three issue arc exploring uh, their their origins uh, their childhood and what the Knights of Wondagore or whatever it was where they were where they were raised and things like that so so somewhere yeah, so I actually did have at least some. As he appears in that storyline, then I actually do have at least some inter, some in- interaction with him as well. <clears throat> All right. Uh, any final thoughts on the Marvel Chillers issues or or the Werewolf by Night issues? They were both. I think they were both cool. Uh, Oddly connected in yes. more ways than we thought. Yes. Um, maybe you know maybe more than oddly connected. I mean it's it. it 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 is kind of funny that it's not like it's not like we it's not like we picked these because of any commonality, but obviously there is a huge amount of commonality between the the origins of the origins of both of these characters. So I think so that's that's, that's so that's really cool. I think they they both are interesting story and that both interesting characters and I am. And I just and, and I also like the links that they have to other characters. I mean, obviously Tiger and things like that. Ti, you know, Tiger Tiger became pretty big. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she was, was member, she was a member of the Avengers. Avengers. Yeah, I, yep. And I remember I was it, it was shortly around actually speaking of those those issue numbers of 185 to 187. I think it was somewhere in that time frame is when it was that incarn it was in that incarnation of the uh, of the team. When she actually joined, I'm trying to. I didn't even pay attention to, to the banner, of the to see if uh, if if she's listed in the, you know, the, the listings of the team, at that point. But yeah, ti- you know, ti- Tiger became Tiger was pretty important. So, and obviously we know you know Moon Knight. Yeah. So it looks yeah it doesn't look like Tiger doesn't look like Tiger became a member. It must have been shortly after. And from the in the in the Modred, I mean the Modred storyline, it looks like the 185 to 187. It looks like the Beast, Vision, Iron Man, Cap, 
Wasp, Falcon, and and Captain Marvel. That looks like the team based on the icons, anyway. So, what do you think about doing these uh, some more in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, the, now the question is, even though this was by luck of the draw that we had a theme, the question is, do we continue trying to do a theme and try to like pick things that are somewhat related, or 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 just leave caution to the wind and see how it goes? Um, I mean, the only the, the, the thing though is it's it's gonna it's it's gonna have to be caution to the wind probably because I mean, if you guys were listening, you know, I've sort of given you a preview of what I'd be covering in the future if we covered anything. But like for instance, uh, Miss Marvel number one. I never read any other Miss Marvel whatsoever, so it's not like we'd be covering. I, I mean, I I didn't even bother collecting it later on. Isn't I just it, read the, read that one issue. Isn't the Scorpion like in that issue or something? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say I, I he's on the cover. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I had that issue so, too, I mean, and that's probably kind of, honestly why that's probably the only reason why I bought it, other than it being a first issue, was because I know the Scorpion very well from uh, from reading the Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, technically, technically, we could do cover Miss Marvel and some issue or issues of Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man oh, yeah. since those those would have some ties, but. Once we start covering things like Union and, and the Nexus Magnus Robot Fighter crossover, yeah. you know, the, there's nothing really in your repertoire that I know of that would intersect with those. So. Yeah, we, we can only connect the dots, I guess, for so long sometimes. <laughs> and, and it's not like we'd always be covering two issues. The only the only reason I decided to throw in issue two of Marvel Chillers, guys, was because, one, Mark was covering two issues on his, but also because... As I, I've, I've said, Madrid doesn't really get very many starring appearances whatsoever. So it just sort of felt like, all right, I'm talking about this first issue, which is the one I really have experience with, but I feel like I'm cheating this character of mine. And I, I, I kind of took ownership of him in my mind. I'm like, I'm cheating him out of his due diligence if I don't cover both issues. <laughs> so... Yeah, because, I mean, he got cheated out of his own appearances by Tigra, so to, to cover only one of his two appearances in that series would sort of suck. <laughs> yeah, I can I can absolutely understand that. Uh, a, lot, a lot of these... That's, that's another common thing between Werewolf by Night and... And Madra there, so it's not like they it's not like they all got their own book to start with, and it's not like they did, it's, and it's not like they didn't have to share it with uh, other characters, including Tigra. <laughs> 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 that, that whole gets around apparently, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that 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 was that was fairly that was fairly common to you know do, splitting the uh, splitting the difference between things. In those back in the day, and, and it made sense, you know, anything that was monster, monster related, so throw them into one book. And, but there were a lot, yeah. There's, there's lots of good stories in Werewolf by Night. I liked that the actual one that's in this, in the sect of the volume that we were doing the Atlas story in, the, the crossover with the Frankenstein monster. I remember that one too. I still have that issue somewhere. Once again, my cover's gone, but I know I have, but I know I have, I had that issue. That's a pretty memorable, that's a pe- pretty memorable story too. So. All right. You want to tell people how they can reach out to us if they want to tell us how they like this uh, episode and tell us if they want some more? Lanterncast at gmail.com. Website is lanterncast.com. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us on Facebook, on Twitter. We are there. iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, 
whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, 708 Lantern is the voicemail. Leave us a voicemail and let us know what you think. And as far as next episode goes, uh, listen, you and I haven't discussed this. As far as I'm concerned, as an actual, the, the, the next release, not if we can't get that, if we can't get that uh, Ode to Toys R Us episodes <laughs> recorded of the Toy Podcast, I kind of wouldn't mind skipping next week because <laughs> I really don't want to do that Green Lanterns thing. <laughs> <laughs> And plus, it might give people more time to actually send in some reviews. Remember, send in your reviews of the final two parts of, but inhuman, superhuman trafficking, whatever it was. Uh, keep it under, keep a nice eight-minute, you know, review of opinions on it. It would be good, but that will that will probably be the next episode we actually record of Green Lan- of Lantern Cast proper. But I'm really hoping we don't have to do that at least for. One more week after this one, because I don't really want to do that. <laughs> which is funny, because I was listening to Myron's podcast, and which is kind of funny related to that comment that you approved on the website, which made me feel a little better that that, that the that the that the that the borderline critique of almost like us being again my interpretation that it was being implied that the way it was written that maybe we were being hypocritical because we we were calling for open opinion even though. Somehow that was making us hypocritical because we didn't like Green Lanterns, and that's that never made sense. And now we find out that maybe part of the reason why was he was getting our podcast confused with Myron's, <laughs> because Myron apparently uh, they've just refused to cover Green Lanterns <laughs> because because given the option, which is which is an interesting uh, perspective, and I can't, and it made me think about this that because they're they're on the podcast of Oa. Their opinion on Green Lanterns has been so, over, so overwhelmingly negative that given the choice between being overwhelmingly negative every time we have to talk about it or just not covering it, they decided not to cover it. <laughs> now we're not going to do that, but it isn't. But it get, does give you a different, does give you a perspective on it because it's like I don't want to be, I don't want to be overly negative and sometimes and. To be fair, a lot of things I when I read it the first time I don't like, and when I go back and reread it for the show, I don't find it either as convoluted or as totally unlikable, or or as totally blah as when I first skimmed through it. But so we'll muddle through it, and I and I'm much more interested in the arc that just started with Jessica's ring going batshit crazy. But we, one way or the other, the next Green Lantern's proper episode will be those, those two issues of the Lantern cast proper will be those two issues of Green Lanterns, just to put it to bed and then and then move on. Yeah. So uh, write us, let us know what you thought about this episode. Give us your feedback, both directly on the website and on social media. Let us know if you'd like to hear some more of these. I'd love to do some more of these because, yeah, we've been putting out a few, not several non-Green Lantern related. Uh, uh, episodes, but I I like doing these because at least they're about comics. I mean, not that the other ones that we were doing aren't tangentially related, but at least uh, this gives us like another comic universe to talk about other comic passions. We can review issues and do the same kind of stuff we do before with you know the Green Lantern content, but with other stuff we're also passionate and knowledgeable about. Um, so I'd like to you know sort of. You know, wax rhapsodic sometime in the future about my love of Nexus. Uh, and Mark can go off on the Jerry Conway run of, of Amazing Spider-Man and and so on and so forth. So if you like this stuff, 
uh, definitely let us know. That uh, will give us more uh, oomph and incentive to get the next one done if we want to do one sooner rather than later. So definitely let us know what you think, guys. Yep, and we and we've we've been trying to balance things out with you know we we obviously don't want to go completely off the Green Lantern reservation. Uh, the choice the choice of trying to do more or obviously <laughs> obviously because of the Robert Venditti stuff we're not going to be doing full full on arcs as we're not going to be doing like all eight issues or whatever <laughs> uh, at one time. So we probably will split that up into the way he has it split up. So maybe once the prelude to the Dark Stars Rising, those three issues finished, then we'll probably do that arc. But because of the way we've been trying to do arcs, not just you know two issues here and there, that does open the door for us to do more comic things that are more Green Lantern issues that aren't current. More comic stuff that isn't Green Lantern, and obviously we we all know that there's going to be uh within probably the next three episodes we will have uh our Avenger our Avengers Infinity War episode. <laughs> when are you seeing sure. it? You seeing it Friday? The Friday it comes out or the Thursday? I'm seeing it Thursday. I've got uh, four <laughs> tickets for opening night after work on Thursday. Yeah, I'm seeing the fan. I'm seeing the fan event that starts at six o'clock on the. Uh, on that 26th or whatever, that Thursday night. So, yeah, so in theory, since we're both seeing it that night, whenever that probably very well, well in all likelihood, will, will be the the first episode released in May then, because that we'll probably record it a few days after we see the movie. So, <clears throat> But, uh, yeah, that's sort of a sneak peek of what's coming, and uh, let us know what you think, guys. Uh, otherwise, we'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.